Exodus chapter 15. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 15, I know that uh, this is a time of year that we are, many of us have many things to do. <clears throat> Sometimes we complain, as I often do, that life's just too busy and Sometimes we get frustrated that we're held up for an extra hour on, you know, any, any number of things. We get a phone call or we get a piece of mail or, you know, we hear something on the radio or there's a wreck in front of us somewhere up the road and, you know, we, we're, you know, we're held up for an extra hour on our way to work or on our way home or, you know, something happens that we weren't expecting and, you know, our day's schedule gets adjusted and, uh, Sometimes we're thankful for that, and oftentimes we forget to be thankful for those interruptions because we expect to go from point A to point B. You know, we expect to go from where we are to where we need to be or want to be with no interruptions. And that is uh, very telling for exactly what we're going to read about today in our text in Exodus 15. Israel expected to go from the... Uh, uh, the place where they were, they expected to go from their place of servitude in Egypt to the promised land of Canaan, and they expected to go there with no disruption, no difficulty, no battles, nothing uh, to, to get in their way. You know, God had prepared everything. He had provided everything. He had protected everything. He had purchased everything. But then the water ran out. And it ran out for three days, and all of a sudden we have a crisis on our hands. And that's what we read in our text today in Exodus chapter 15. We'll start at the end of the Red Sea crossing for context in verse number 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness... And found no water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he, being God, proved them and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and wilt do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees. And they encamped there by the water. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day, Lord. We thank you for this time that we can come a place, come apart from the world, and we can focus on you, Lord. And we ask, as you've done for Israel, that you would heal the bitter waters, that you would give us healing today. Lord, that you would restore what has been bitter, Lord, that you would grant us your peace in Christ's name. Amen. 
Merah, as you see, is a place of trials. It's a place of bitter waters, and we have more written here. Even though it is a short text, even though it is a short passage, even though it is not much that is written, we have more that is written here about the trials of Merah than are written about the blessings of Elam. And God has used a trial here to show Israel that they have a new position. Israel, as we said last week, was cleanly passed over the Red Sea. They have clearly passed over the Red Sea. They have completely passed over the Red Sea. And now this nation is detached from Egypt. And they are distinct from Egypt. But Israel must learn through instruction and now they must learn through experience that this new position also has delivered them from Egypt. But before they will learn about this deliverance from Egypt, God must get their attention. How is it he does that? Well, there must be a crisis. And I wonder oftentimes what it is that God must do to get our attention. How many of us must suffer a crisis? How many of us must go through a difficult situation, an unexpected occurrence in our life that God does just so he can get our attention? And we seldom stop to consider, and we still seldom stop to be thankful for the trials that we face. And we are so reluctant to realize or so slow to be grateful that the trials we face are for our benefit. They're for our blessings. You see, sometimes God shocks us into getting our attention. And then when he does, when we finally slowed down, when we finally turned our face to seek God, he reveals himself not only as God the Sovereign, but God the Savior, the God that heals. And in this particular case, the water, the water that looked like such a, crossing, such a crisis at the Red Sea, actually became a blessing to them. It became what protected them. It became what crushed Pharaoh as, an, as his and his armies. And now they move beyond the Red Sea. And again, it looks like, well, there's no water. And we're going we're gonna to die of thirst. We're going to die of a drought in this wilderness. And suddenly they come to this place called Merah. And they see water. Oh, great, there's some water here. And the water that looks like a blessing has now become a curse because, well, the water is bitter waters. It's water that looks plentiful and it looks like a blessing, but it's water that cannot be drunk. It's water that cannot be used. It cannot be consumed. But God then makes this bitter water usable through his servant. And that's my sermon title today. If you're taking notes, it is the sweetness that Moses restores. The sweetness that Moses restores. I want you to notice, first of all, with me, the position of Merah. The situation that they find themselves in. The position of Merah, first of all, is a bitter testing. This chapter 
chapter 15. We mentioned it two weeks ago. We mentioned it again last week. Uh, chapter 15 is a bitter testing, but it begins with a song of victory, a song of victory over their enemies, over their release from Egypt. Uh, verse 1 and verse number 2 begins, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord. He says, I will sing to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. But we don't even get out of chapter 1 until we have a bitter testing, do we? God's power is what has brought them out. Look at verse number 6. Thy right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. Israel is no longer in captivity. Israel is no longer held against their will. There is a new process. There is a new program. But there is a new hardship. It is a new difficulty. It is a new time of privation. And that is there is no water to be seen. No water anywhere. So Merah was a bitter testing. Merah is also a brand new testing. In Egypt, Israel always had water. And they always had enough water. There was the Nile River that flowed through the land of Egypt. There was the delta, the Nile Delta that, that made Egypt so fertile. There was the many canals that that they had dug themselves and, and the many canals that was uh, so famous in Egypt. Evidently the Hebrews had forgotten that it was the Lord that provided water. He had turned the waters of Egypt into blood and left them that way for an entire week traveling in the desert without waters. can be difficult. It was a difficult journey. They had left the Red Sea, and as they left the Red Sea, they went into the wilderness, and they have gone out into the wilderness and into this desert territory, and they've gone for three days. Now, three days without water is a long time. You must have water. And the difficulty is this band is somewhere just up, uh, you know, just north of 2 million, probably 2.2, 2.4 million persons in this band that we call the nation of Israel. You have to have water, and you can't carry that much. That's the problem. You see, you can carry your, your water pots, and you can carry your pitchers, and you can carry your canteens from the Red Sea. But you can't carry that much water, and you can't carry it that far. You've got to have some resupply. According to the quartermaster of the army, a number that large would require an enormous amount of water. How much? I'm so glad you asked. If they only had enough water to drink and to wash a few dishes, it would take about 11 million gallons a day to supply that size of a company. 11 million gallons a day. That's equivalent to a freight train with nothing but tank cars that goes on for several miles. Now, I used to live in Illinois. I've seen coal trains 
that went on for over three and a half miles. Imagine three and a half miles, four miles of nothing but tanker cars. That would be just over a thousand semi-trucks hauling nothing but water for one day of this company. Do you see that one day of water is a miracle? Each day and every day is a miracle of water. During the deliverance from Egypt, God has used water as the very implement that secured their safety. You remember the Red Sea crossing, right? And now after three days, just three days after the Red Sea, here's some water, but it's bitter water. And so Israel was brought out of Egypt. They've completely come out of Egypt. But what's the difficulty that we see here? They've turned their eyes back, haven't they? The people murmured against Moses, what shall we drink? See, they've reverted back to the ways which they have grown so accustomed to. When life gets tough, they start complaining. When life gets difficult, they start complaining about their leader. They start complaining about their taskmaster. What's well, exactly what they did in Egypt, wasn't it? We can't make bricks. We don't have enough time. And so we'll take the straw away. Well, we can't make bricks. We certainly can't make bricks without straw. Well, God helped them and they made bricks, right? I mean, every time that something happened, every time something got difficult, they just started complaining. And they found another way to complain. And they found another reason to complain. You notice here that it never says they turn to God. They turned to the leadership. They turned against God's man. They never turned to God. That was the problem. So Merah was a bitter testing. Merah was a brand new testing. But Merah was a bold testing. And by bold, I mean that the testing was done on purpose. It was no accident. It was prepared by God's wise plan. It was prepared by God's infinite plan. Look to verse number 25. You notice right there at the end of verse 25, it says, There he proved them. There he proved them. He is God. This is God's designed place. This is God's designated place. It wasn't an accident that they were brought here. God was in control. God meant it. God brought them here on purpose. Just to see what they would do. Not because God didn't know what they were going to do, but because he was proving them to themselves. And so Merah was a beneficial testing. Also we see here in verse 25, there's a new promise made. There... He made for them, he also being God, he made for them a statute and an ordinance. He made for them literally a regulation, a judgment. In other words, this testing was for their benefit, not for God's benefit. And that's an application that we all need to understand. The testing that we go through, the trials that we go through, it's not for God's benefit. It's not because God doesn't know how we're going to act. It's for our benefit. It's because our faith needs the trial so that we prove to ourselves the, mess, the, 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 the measure of our own faith. 
put your finger here, you can, you can turn with me to another verse if you want. We, we see this same thing with the apostles in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, re, regarding the, the, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. In, in John 6, verse 5, when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come to him. He saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him. Who's he proving? He's not proving himself. For he himself knew what he would do. You know how this works out. You know the end of this miracle. Jesus doesn't need to prove himself. Jesus is proving Philip. Not for his own benefit because it says that he knew what he was going to do. He's proving Philip. He's testing Philip's faith. Not to destroy Philip's faith, but to build his faith. James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 3, The trying of your faith worketh patience. It is in the testing that we are made strong. It is through trials that our faith grows. Those who have a weak faith have never had their faith tested. It is the furnace of affliction that tempers the metal of your faith. Dr. John MacArthur says it this way. He says so many Christians have a weak faith because their faith has never been tempered by the fire of trials. Sometimes we have to be heat treated. We have to be case hardened. We have to be toughened up. And James and Paul both agree. Paul says in Romans 5 verse 3, Tribulation worketh patience. That was the position of Mara. But I want to give you, secondly, the experience of Mara. I want you to see that we're proven in battle here. God's people are always proven by testing. It is the trials and the afflictions through which we know we are God's children. You know there's no exceptions to that. But here's what's amazing to me. Why are we surprised when trials come? Why are we as God's children taken off guard? Why are we so surprised when trials come? Acts 14 verse 22 says, We must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. We are proven in battle. I mean, we become Christians and then we expect everything to be smooth sailing. No, that's not true. When you become a Christian, you need to expect to be on the front lines. And so, here's something that will prevent some bewilderment for you. Back here in Mara, we need to focus on the blessing, not on the bitter waters. We just need to avoid some negative thoughts. Don't be discouraged. Don't doubt God's love. Don't doubt God's salvation because you have some bitter circumstances, because you have bitter difficulties in your life. It is these struggles that are frequently the proof 
that you're God's child. It is the proof that you are among God's people. Peter says so. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. The God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. He says this. After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Notice that Peter does not say that you will be perfect, established, strengthened, and settled so that you can go through the trials. He says, after you have suffered, then make you perfect, established, strengthened, and settle you. So don't be discouraged. And don't be a doubter. Even if you've already doubted, stop doubting and move on. God provides in the summary of this experience in Deuteronomy Moses writes these words chapter 1 verse 31 of Deuteronomy in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that you went until you came into this place wow God took care of all of it didn't he So don't be discouraged, don't be doubtful, and don't be a dissenter. I mean, it says here that they complained against Moses, right? The people murmured against Moses, what shall we drink? Don't be a dissenter, don't be that guy. There's always some who are going to complain. They're going to dispute. They're going to de demonstrate. They're going to dissent. Don't complain about the leadership, especially when God uses the leadership to become the blessing. God uses them. God uses Moses to intervene. Look what happens. And he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree when he cast into the waters. The waters. We're made sweet. And so I just ask that you ponder those benefits. Consider then the positive lessons that everything God does, it is for your good and it is for his glory. Notice some similarities here. The wilderness, this trial, it was the same for you as it was for everyone else. When this group goes through the Red Sea and then they walk for three days in the heat, the hot sun, and they're thirsty and they come to the place where they see water and they think their thirst is about to be quenched and yet they find that it's bitter water that does them no good. There's some that start complaining. Guess what? That situation was the same for them as it was for everyone else in Israel. God didn't single one out. It was the whole group that went through the same trial and they all went through together. But there was one or two or three that started complaining to Moses, right? The wilderness was the same for you as for everyone else. So don't think that you were singled out. There's a similarity in the trials. 
The world is evil to young converts just as it is to old Christians. It will do everything that it can. It will employ every technique that it knows. It wants to remove you from Christ's path. You may love holiness, but this world does not. It does not love holiness, and it does not love you. This world hates God, and it hates you if you're a Christian. We need to recognize that all of us are living in enemy territory. Whatever the situation is faced by you, it is faced by others. Now understand this. Your circumstances may be different, but your trials are the same. Hebrews 11.13 says this, These all died in faith and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Twice we're told that we are strangers and we are pilgrims on this earth. What's a stranger? We mentioned it Wednesday. A stranger is someone that's not at home. Too many times we build our homes here on earth, and we don't look for our home that's in heaven. We're strangers on earth. We're somebody that's not home. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And that's the pilgrim. A stranger is someone that's not at home. A pilgrim is someone that's on their way home. Be a stranger and be a pilgrim. And since all of these things are similar for all of us, you overcome this trial by being an encourager. So beyond the similarity, look at the sustenance. Every one of us are entirely dependent upon God for everything. There's none of us that meets our own needs. There's none of us that supplies anything that we need. Israel was dependent upon God for every blessing they had. With that amount of water needed every single day, every day's water was a miracle. We depend upon God for life and for breath. That is what Paul said on Mars Hill. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Israel depended on God for the Red Sea crossing. That water was a suffocating water. That water was a scary water. And now they had to depend upon him for a sustaining water. It is God and God alone that provides. You can run very low on your provisions, but you will never run out. Psalm 37, verse 25. We've quoted it many times. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You can have great needs, but you know one of the greatest things about having a great need? We have a great God, and you can get all of your needs met from our great God, and you'll never once diminish his supply. This is why we read Psalm 50 this morning. Turn back with me, if you will, to the 50th Psalm, the Song of Asaph. We'll not read the whole thing again for the sake of time, but Psalm 50 in verse number 7 
Our songwriter pens these words. Hear, O my people, I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against thee. He says, I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or burnt offerings to have been continually before me. Your sacrifices are not the issue, is what he says. It's not your obedience in giving the sacrifices. Notice what he says in verse number 9. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. You know what? When you go deer hunting, and you shoot a big old buck, God knew his name. And we can set out our game cameras, and we can set out our trail cams, and we can get this one that's got this many points on this side, and he's got this time that goes that way, and, and we can try to hunt a specific buck. God knows his name. We can hit a bird with our car. God knows which one it is. God says in verse 12, if I were hungry, I wouldn't even let you know about it. God doesn't get hungry. The world is mine. The fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? No. Verse 14, he says, Offer unto God thanksgiving. Pay thy vows to the Most High. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee. Why? So you will glorify me. That's what he says. Every beast of the field is mine the cattle on a thousand hills. Your need may be great. Your supply may be small. But you're never going to perish from that need because we have a great God who owns everything. The riches he has in heaven are innumerable. He owns the earth. He owns everything on it. He owns the thousand hills and the cattle on them. Matthew 6, verse number 8 says this, Your Father knoweth what things you have need of, before you ask of him. Later on in that chapter, in verse number 32, Matthew 6, 32, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. His righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Luke 12, verse 7, even the very hairs of your head are numbered. It's not as big a job for me some others of you as it is for some of the younger fellows the very hairs of your head are numbered fear not therefore you are of more value than many sparrows that's the point he's trying to make God knows the sparrows and he doesn't let one of them fall to the ground without his direct action He cares a whole lot more about you than he does the birds. And he takes care to feed the birds with their daily needs. And so there's a shift here. There's a switch. There's a substitution. And that's what we need to see in these verses. God can take any situation and turn it about. He can switch it. He can make a substitution. God can turn the bitter water into sweet. Look at verse 25. Moses, he cried unto the Lord, 
And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. The waters were made sweet. God can change any situation. I can tell you later of how that is a picture of Christ and the coming of Christ. But God can change any situation. He makes the bitter water sweet. Isaiah 43 that we read earlier. Isaiah 43 Verse 19 says, Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Verse 20. The beasts of the field shall honor me, the dragons and the owls, because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Notice this. To give drink to my people, my chosen. You're not going to die of thirst. It's the same thing as Joseph in Genesis 50, verse 20. He said, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. God uses simple means, and often he uses those means that are not readily visible. He showed Moses a tree. God uses the means that he chooses. He uses the way that he pleases. What would we have done if we were there? Hey, Moses, get out your special rod. Where's that special stick that Aaron carries around? Get, get, get that out and wave it around a little bit. That's what we would have done. But God doesn't work like we look work. God was teaching these people to depend on him. You depend on God. You don't depend on miracles. You don't depend on special instruments. Sometimes there is a new method. Sometimes there is a miracle. But God is telling them, He blesses faithfulness. And that's my third point. The instructions of Merah. What is the instruction of Mara? What are the life lessons we learn at Mara? The first one is probably one of the most difficult. Limit protesting. Limit protesting. Do you know that you can't trust yourself? Do you know that you can't trust yourself even if you're one of God's children? I mean, hindsight's 2020, isn't it? And we all have the benefit of hindsight because we're reading this after the fact. But I'm tell you this, and I can give you abundant demonstrations, I can give you abundant testimonies of this, even in my own life, and if you'll think about it in your own life, you'll know the same thing. We frequently don't understand what, is, what God is doing with us when we're in the midst of the battle. When we're in the midst of the trial, we don't know what it is God's trying to teach us. We don't know what it is God's trying to tell us. We don't know what it is God's trying to accomplish. 
Sometimes it's a lesson we need to learn. Sometimes it's just faithfulness he wants to see because he's teaching somebody else something and we're just supposed to demonstrate faithfulness for somebody else to learn a lesson. And we don't know that. And sometimes we don't understand until the battle's over. Sometimes we don't understand for several years. Sometimes we're not ever going to understand on this earth. We'll understand it when we get to heaven. But I can tell you this, God always has a purpose. He doesn't punish the sons of men willingly. He never puts you through something without a purpose. There's always a purpose. Paul says so. That you may comfort others with the same comfort wherewith we have been comforted. He calls him the God of all comfort. There's a reason. You don't have to know the reason. You just got to know that there is one. And all of a sudden you'll stand mighty and you'll stand strong and you'll never back up. You'll nail your shoes right where they're at. I'm never backing up one step. You don't have to know what the purpose is. All you have to know is that the captain of your salvation says, there's a purpose, there's a flag, there's a battle, and you're in it, and we're going to win it. And don't you ever sound surrender. Don't you ever sound retreat. Don't you ever back up one step. Someday you'll understand. Someday I'll understand. Meanwhile, I can't remember. I can't remember the admiral that said it. I'll have to look up the quote later. But he said, my banner is nailed to the mast. I can't take it down. You can sink my ship. But the flag has been nailed to the mast. You can't take the flag down. Isaiah 25, verse 1. O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. We sang this one just a couple weeks ago. Psalm 118, verse 28 and 29. Thou art my God, I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. See, we slip back into times when we want to murmur, and we want to complain, and we want to doubt, and we want to question our difficult circumstances. That's what Paul did in Romans 7. Verse 23, he says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity. It's captive when we do that, right? Bring me into captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. You see, we need to understand that sin and self are always in us, and they're always with us, and they're always looking for a way to take over. Just like Israel always wanted to go back to Egypt. They always wanted to turn and look back to Egypt. Reminds me of that old song. It was easy to get Israel out of Egypt. It took a long time to get Egypt out of Israel. So first, limit your protesting. Second, understand your lifestyle pattern, and that is a continual daily dependence on prayer and obedience. 
In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's Philippians 4, 6. Obedience. Distinction from Egypt required their obedience. Look at verse number 26. If thou wilt, diligently hearken to the voice of God. Will do that which is right in his sight. Give ear to his commandments. Keep all his statutes. That just sounds like obedience, 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 obedience. What did John say when we studied 1 John? If you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. That's how you show your love for God. That's how you show your love for the brethren. You cannot live a double standard. So we have, we have to limit our protesting. We have to embrace this lifestyle pattern. And thirdly, you have to understand the Lord provides. The Lord provides. This is a name that is not readily seen in this passage. But I want you to look at the end of verse number 26. And if you're taking notes or you're prone to taking notes in your Bible, I want you to write down at the end of verse number 26 where it says, For I am the Lord that healeth thee. You notice that that Lord there is all capitals. That is Jehovah. The word that healeth thee is one word in Hebrew. That is Rafi. This is Jehovah Rafi. That is a new name for God. And in Hebrew, Jehovah Rafi means the Lord that heals. I am the Lord that heals. So trust in God. Psalm 37, 7 says, Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him, because he is the God that heals. And I want you to trust in God. I want you to rely on God. I want you to believe in God. I want you to trust in God, not only when you have sweet honey, but I want you to trust in God even when you are served bitter spices because he knows what he's doing. And he is the God that heals. Bitter spices won't last forever. And I don't know how God heals. I don't know how God heals the trials that you go through. But I know that he does because he always does. The one who you trust will bless you. Psalm 30 verse 5 says his anger endureth but for a moment in his favor is life. It says weeping may endure for a night but joy comes in the morning. Joy cometh in the morning. Lamentations 3, verse 22 and 23. You can probably quote it. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now read with me back in this text. Read with me verse number 27. Right after it says, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Right after he says, for I am Jehovah Rapha. 
He says, And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees. And they encamped there by the waters. And they took their journey from Elam. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And so I want you to see this, because this is extremely important. They came to Elam where were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. And what's the next thing we know about Elam? And they took their journey from Elam. Verse number one tells that they left Elam. Verse number 27 of chapter 15 tells us that they arrived at Elam. And so what do we know of Elam? One verse. It's all that's recorded about Elam. God had prepared for them a place called Elam. And in Elam, there were 12 wells. How many tribes of Israel is there? There's 12. And in Elam, there is 70 palms. How many elders of Israel is there? There's 70 elders of Israel. And so all the while, while they're complaining and, and, and they're festering and they're murmuring at Merah, God's got a place just outside of Merah called Elam. And there's a well for every tribe. And there's a shady palm tree for every elder. That's not a mistake. That's a place of blessing that's waiting. And it's only one verse. Merah is a short stay. And God all along had prepared Elam with 12 wells for the 12 tribes and 70 palms for the 70 elders. And Merah is a very short stay. Here's what I want you to consider. Don't be too quick to leave Merah. Don't be so fast to arrive at Elam where the water is easy and where the shade is satisfying. Because when Israel left their trials at Merah and they left the sweet water where Moses threw in the wood to make the water sweet. They came to Elam, and there was no more miracles. Wells they had. Palm trees they had. All the water you could want, the shade that you so long desired. But there's no more miracles. There is no divine intervention at Merah, they changed the bitter water to sweet, and God still provided. But at Elam, it was a well. So draw your own water. 
At Merah, God spoke. At Elam, there was no special communication from God. At Merah, God established a statute, and he gave them an ordinance. At Elam, there's the water you wanted. There's the shade that you desired. And nothing said. God didn't speak to them at Elam. There's no new revelation of God. At the bitter waters of Merah, God reached down and he said, I am the God that heals. I am Jehovah Rapha. And at Elam, draw your own water. I gave you the well that you wanted. And so you may find yourself in the midst of a bitter struggle. You may find yourself confused in the trials. Don't try to get out of them too fast. I know we all want them to go away. But understand that God has a purpose. They're God's appointments. It says in our text, there he proved them. And there he proves you. There is where he tempers your faith. There's many virtues. There's many blessings in the bitter waters of Merah. It is true that sweet are the uses of adversity. It is always that God remembers his children. We find the places of refreshment, even in the wilderness, because he will make a way in the wilderness. He makes rivers in the desert. He cares for his children. He cares for you. He is the God of all comfort, and he is the God that heals. Have confidence in your testing. Have confidence in your trials. He is a God of comfort. And trials last only for a short time. And there's an Elam that waits. Let's stand. Brother Derek, if you'll come.